0: They buy at the top and they sell at the bottom. And do you remember we used to call these people the masters of the universe? I mean, they're idiots. They now have to keep printing
1: or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Life from the vault. Welcome to Life in the Vault. My name is Shane Moran and I'll be your host for this episode. And from the entire Life in the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support. And as you can imagine, the community keeps growing more and more every single week. And there's a lot to talk about during these historic times. And Andrew McGuire is in the house. ...with an industry expert by popular demand and a returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod, and we'll be talking gold. This is going to be an amazing episode and you won't want to miss a word right here on Live from the Vault. You know... Life from the Vault gives you access to information and updates that you just can't get anywhere else, and this episode will be no exception. So just before we go to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Alistair McLeod, please help us spread the word about this channel by hitting that like button, by sharing, by subscribing if you haven't already done so, and click on that bell if you'd like to be notified in real time as these episodes go live. So with that, let me introduce our special guest. Alistair McLeod is the head of research at Gold Money, and Alistair has been a, a celebrated stockbroker and a member of the London Stock Exchange for decades and his experience encompasses uh, equity and bond markets and fund management corporate finance investment strategy and his mission is to educate and inform the public in layman's terms what governments do with money and how to protect themselves from the consequences and with that let's head over to the uk with talking gold with the one and only andrew mcguire and our special guest alistair McLeod. over to you andy well, this
2: is actually, I always look forward to Alistair returning for a visit with us. And, and as you say, so many subscribers have actually been asking for Alistair to return. And I really do thank you, Alistair, for coming back to share just a snippet of the wealth of your experience. And I, I know you, I mean, not just the financial industry, you're a historian um, and and you have the unique ability to demystify really what is a very complex world of high finance. And, um, and as I say, so, but, you know, often when we, when, when we come onto the life involved, we're trying to, trying to, trying to focus the area, the, 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 our, our discussions on, um, on gold and silver and how it, how, how all of these things impact gold and silver. And I know we could go in many directions, um, but of course, so many of these crosses do affect uh, gold and silver anyway, so they're all relevant. But as we are recording this episode today, it's just before um, the Wednesday, the 21st FOMC uh, meeting, so I want people to be aware that this is being recorded well before that. Um, not that not that that is making much difference, but but as we have started our day this morning, Alisa, it, it must have struck you the same way as it struck me we evidenced the Russia-Ukraine situation, and I know you've done a lot of work on this, um, or shall I venture to say, my view is the proxy war between the U.S. and Russia. Yeah. As we saw this sort of escalate, Alastair, I know you've discussed this before, but what are your thoughts here? And, and it, it seems here in Europe um, and and the and the U- and us in the U.K., for example, have really kind of shot ourselves in the foot by imposing self-harming sanctions on Russia. And good Lord, though, it sounds like they want to dig a deeper hole now. And as you recently put it, I think, very recently, very, g- grabbed my attention, this a group thinking uh, form of myopia has taken over. And as a result of this, what I think is a clown show, uh, shows us peons as having to make choices to heat or eat. What are your thoughts? Well, Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid that our
0: leaders have put us in that position Um, and, uh, you know, they're pursuing um, the situation. To me, it is absolutely crazy. Uh, If You know, if if, let's say you were um, on the moon looking down on planet Earth, um, not influenced by all the propaganda from one side or the other, um, history would tell you that Russia has always wanted to secure her, her borders. She is effectively an introspective, uh, nation. Um, and, uh, I mean, under communism, uh, what was interesting was that everything that they did in terms of influence abroad and all the rest of it, uh, was to try and secure her own position. Um, she was never interested in taking over the world, uh, in the way that you could argue that America has in terms of its hegemony. And, um, Given that that is the case, then Russia's primary interest has got to be to um, ensure that she's not threatened on her Western boundary. She wants to trade with Europe, but Europe, unfortunately, is under the aegis, the sway of America. Britain has now left the EU, which makes the EU a more interesting unit, trade unit as far as Russia is concerned. But what she wants to do basically is get the American influence out. And um, I mean, you could look at this on t- on two levels. I mean, firstly, there's the level of, um, you know, missile launches and launches and all the rest of it, which could attack Moscow or could uh, attack deep into Russian territory. That goes against the understanding when uh, the Iron Curtain fell down um, and I think they, they are very much aggrieved by the American attitude ever since then. Um, I think it also goes a bit further. I mean, now that you have got um, uh, Europe under the aegis of Brussels and Britain has got out, you have got an intensely European unit there, which um, f- with all its faults and all the rest of it um, can be a very, very good trade partner. So. Um, I think Russia is 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 primarily interested in that sort of peaceful relationship. But in order to secure it, I mean, she saw um, the Syria mess that the Americans made. She saw um, the mess of Afghanistan leading to America leaving very recently. Um, And she's seen Britain leave the EU. She has seen the election of President Biden, who is a far. more quantifiable, weaker president than perhaps Trump, who was unpredictable, which is you know and you can 't really act against someone who is unpredictable, but if someone's predictable mm. and they 're basically weak, then um, you can you can you can make progress so all these factors have come together which have led to Ukraine being the proxy war, as you put it, and I think you put it absolutely correctly um, but wars are never easy um. Uh, the borders uh, between Ukraine, um, Belarussia and uh, the Soviet Union are, I mean, it's over a thousand miles, for goodness sake. This is a huge, huge border, and it can't all be defended. Uh, absolutely. It can be, I mean, strongholds can be uh, identified, um, but what we have seen in, in recent weeks is that there's some success from the Ukrainian troops in terms of regaining territory. But bear in mind two things. First of all, you have got um, uh, this enormously long border and the Russians can't, I mean, no nation can protect it completely. I mean, you know, unless they put up a huge great wall or something, that is um, is, is, is virtually impossible. And the second thing is that we're now um, beginning to enter the, the winter months when um, uh, military campaigns basically grind to a halt. So I think what we're likely to see is not so much um, you know, further wonderful gains by by the Ukrainians. But, you know, this is going to turn into something like the Somme at its worst, you know, muddy, nasty conditions, troops in trenches bedded down, making no progress and lobbing the odd missile at each other. I, I think that's what it's going to deteriorate into. I don't think Putin minds really. I mean, what he's now doing is he's now um, securing the position of Donetsk in particular, uh, and any sort of Russians um, in in the Eastern Ukraine who want to be independent. Um, they're having um, a, a referenda to, uh, you know, sort of see whether, I mean, for example, Donetsk has, has uh, said it might join um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or BRICS. Now this is a very major change mm. in the whole thing. And it's bound to rile the West Big time, and we've seen this in some of the responses from Biden, for example, at the UN today. So, you know, I mean, we're looking at a situation where the West is trying to claim that the whole thing is being escalated. No, I think escalated is slightly the wrong word. I think what Putin is doing is he's trying to um, secure his position. Um, but behind it all, what he is doing in conjunction with China is ruling Asia. Um, not ruling it in the sense of invading um, uh, other people's territory, but allowing them to exist as independent nations within the context of the total Asian economy. And you've got this mixture of um, Russian um, uh, c- commodities, energy, and so on and so forth, which are being offered cheaply. And uh, you've also got Chinese technology and uh, its investment in communications throughout Asia. Make no mistake, we are in decline while Asia is undergoing a continuing industrial revolution and it is being financed by cheap energy. And guess what? We've turned around and said, we don't want fossil fuels. So even people like Saudi Arabia know who their friends are and it's not us anymore. As far as they're concerned, the markets are actually Asia. And interestingly, I mean, back in 2014, I interviewed a director of one of the major Swiss refineries, and he was telling me that the refinery was being worked off its feet by um, Arabs. I mean, apart from the general market uh, you know, conditions, uh, Arab sources were sending in 400 ounce LBMA bars, some of them pretty ancient, you know, covered in dust, dirt and all the rest of it. Um, and getting them uh, re-refined into Chinese nine standard. And then these bars were sent back to the owners. Now, that tells me that even in 2014, some of the really big, big money in uh, the Middle East was seeing the way in which the world was going. And um, So to that extent, to see, um, you know, stories that uh, Saudi Arabia is sort of considering joining BRICS or whatever is actually a logical outcome of the geopolitics that's going on in Asia. That's actually what we're all missing in this. And I think that's terribly important to understand. Now, mentioning currencies, I think, is also very important because Putin is prepared Mm. to accept uh, for energy, payments and energy and or other commodities, um, Turkish uh, lira, um, uh, Iranian real, I mean, rubbish currencies. So why is he prepared to do this? Well, you know, I think it sort of proves a point. He takes uh, Indian rupees, which, um, you know, the Indians are re- re-refining the oil and sending it off to America. You know, <laughs> well done for them. Um, he's taking these rubbish c- currencies. I don't think he's going to take it for very long. And the interesting thing is that the way in which to deal with this is to turn around and say, right, we will have a trade settlement currency to replace the dollar in all our transactions throughout Asia. Now, so far, we've had this um, talked about for the European, uh, sorry, the Euro-Asian Economic uh, Union, which, um, you know, is sort of the stands in the middle, Belarusia and China and Russia all coming together in that sort of central block, intensely central Asian block. Um, But it's going to be wider than that. And I think that um, the new Moscow standard, which was proposed and marketed as a response to the LBMAs uh, kicking out the refiners. No, it's not that. It's actually, I think, central to the plan, which is being put together by the same man who is tasked with coming up with the um, Eurasian Economic Union new trade currency is being put together by Sergei Glazier, the same guy. So we can see which way this is going. And um, if I was to make a prediction, I think that the direction um, in which Putin is taking this is that he will substitute these rubbish currencies, which at the moment he is prepared to take for his oil, energy and commodity exports, Mm. with a new trade currency – which will be based on gold. So this, these are extremely interesting times, Andrew, uh, as, as far as the, the really big picture is concerned anyway.
2: I mean, that, 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 is, that is just so helpful because I think, again, I think you've nailed every single aspect of, of that, Alistair. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I remember back, I I know I looked back at one of our previous interviews that was back in July 2021. I remember asking you to comment on the Russian central bank selling dollar reserves and adding gold in its place. And in other words, openly (laughs) swapping dollars for gold back then. And and we we noted back then there was clearly moving to set up a new payment system uh, to reduce dependence on the swift interbank uh, payment system. And of course, what you've just outlined is exactly, this is the connect the dots. And you're talking about really long-term thinking here, strategy. uh, And and this strategy has clearly been in place for quite some time. And let's face it, um, Russia and China are both military enemies of the US. Always have been, and, and yet they will trade with each other.
0: They've got completely different outlooks on everything. Um, And uh, I mean, the the situation was uh, made considerably worse when President Trump decided to really go at China and um, isolate China from world trade as much as possible. I mean, we we forget that until then, George Osborne and David Cameron were, um, you know, developing, happily developing good trading relations with uh, China and China, through Hong Kong, wanted to uh, use uh, London as its as its main international financial centre. You know, I mean, brilliant, brilliant stuff. But that was all kibosh by 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 President Trump. And um, you know, we were then put in the position through the Five Eyes uh, uh, intelligence relationship of either going with with America or or, or going our, our our own way. And the establishment certainly wouldn't have done anything other than um, fold and go with America. So uh, we've lost that opportunity. Um, In any event, the whole thing has changed. It has deteriorated Um, all the publicity about the very bad way in which the Chinese treat their citizens um, is now in everybody's mind. And that was a deliberate act to to get people thinking that way. Um, So, uh, you know, we can't really put the clock back in that sense. And I, it's 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 a fascinating um, problem I think that uh, the new Conservative government has under under Liz Truss now at the moment she's all gung ho, um, continuing as she was you know the, the previous policy and I am sure that um, as foreign secretary and now as prime minister she will continue to be advised by the intelligence services which are in hock to the Americans um that uh you know we've we've got to um you know continue to deny a role for china in world effects and uh also to continue to double down on helping the ukrainians against the russians in that proxy war um the, to, to my mind these are wrong-headed policies i mean it's, it's not showing uh the wisdom which we require of statesmen um and I was very interested in this context some time ago, Kissinger, who is now what 99 or something. Uh, he made mm-hmm. the remark that really, um, uh, the best thing to do is to get the Ukrainians and Russians to talk together and, you know, try and resolve this sooner or later. He said, we're going to have to talk. And I think he's absolutely right. But we're so far away from there and we're still drifting apart. Um, so we're not going to have a peaceful world at all, but, um, mm-hmm. I think I'm very, very hopeful that the one good thing that will come out of this is sound money uh, from uh, the Asian Mm -hmm. bloc, Um, because if they do that, then we will have no alternative but to follow them. We won't follow them immediately, but we will follow them in time. Um, And I'd like to just make another point. I mean, I've always taken the view that uh, for Russia and China to declare their true gold reserves would be rather like a financial nuclear weapon. Um, We do know now, um, officially, that uh, between uh, the the central bank's reserves and uh, other Russian government accounts, they've got over 12,000 tons of gold. Now, put that against America, which claims it's got 8,134 tons, uh, yet to be verified. um, uh, And uh, you can see that The situation in terms of gold, which, remember, legally is money. Everything else is credit. That's the legal position, whatever the politicians say, whatever the economists say. Under those circumstances, you can see that um, legally it puts Russia in a more powerful position financially than America. Um, The other thing I would say about the Russians is that their economic analysis is not bound up in the Keynesian fallacies, which, um, we, you know, which we live with all the time. Our markets you know, are driven by it. Um, government policy is driven by it. Um, uh, interest rate policy is driven by it. And it's all rubbish. They see through it, and you can see from the speeches, the very few speeches that Putin makes on uh, the subject of Western's um, uh, economic and, fi- and monetary policies, that he sees it, He's, he understands it. And um, that tells me that this analysis, that they actually understand the role of gold as money, and this must be returned to at some stage, I think that's very important. The difference is that from... Being um, a nuclear option. I think what the Russians and Chinese are now seeing as a result of our actions is that they need to do it for defensive purposes rather than offensive purposes. Mm. And that's a major, major shift. So I'm very hopeful that we will get um, a return to some sort of sound money. I'm sure they'll make a hash of it. (laughs) I don't trust any government to get these things right first time. But at least, I mean, you're looking at over half the world's population, potentially in the SCO, uh, EAEU and um, uh, BRICS, um, you know, mixture, over half the world's population. We're only about 20% in in NATO and our supporters. So the majority of the world could well um, move towards um, accepting gold as money and the backing for their currencies. And that, I think, is desperately important
2: and Alice, uh, as you, as you quite rightly say you've made so many good points there i mean uh, you know gold has never ceased to be money it is just that the fact that um i guess uh, i guess we have been uh, gaslighted or as a, as 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 a country as as a as a global com- community to thinking then there's only one solution which is uh, fiat money which you can print at, 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 to any amount you wish and and i think what, what is so interesting here is as well is that first of all you 've mentioned how russia Putin is really strategically playing this very very well, and do you know what what I really like about our conversation here is that you're intelligently um Dismediating the narrative the the one narrative that is everywhere and questioning it it's so this is about education and for people to make up their own minds and and really you know what you've just outlined is so correct it's so true and um and I think you've talked about several things here I mean for a start off I mean you're quite right I mean putin what was it the weather defeated napoleon the weather defeated every army that's ever attempted to take on russia it's ludicrous to even including hitler yeah in, that's what i mean hitler so yeah. with with his massive machine uh, i mean to, to it's even ludicrous to think that that one that there isn't going to have to be some for either 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 everything is in ruins and we all die or basically a negotiated settlement has to come out of this. And one, I think one of the things that really, really uh, made me very, very angry um, was that back in April, it was absolutely clear from every side that Russia and Ukraine were ready to do a deal, to actually settle. And then what happened? We had Boris Johnson race over there in within two days, completely unwound, called uh, Putin a war criminal. And what was Boris doing? Uh, one of his, I mean, obviously, he's towing the American line. But on the other hand, he was also looking to seek cover for his party gate um, issues. And it's just all timed perfectly. And I think what is criminal is the amount of thousands of people that have died on both sides, not taking any sides here on both sides, because it was actually they actually stopped or he was probably, primarily the, the figurehead for stopping that negotiated settlement. And and really, I'd say blood on hands here for that is was totally, totally unnecessary.
0: Well, I think I think I think. Um, uh actually what Boris was doing was he was he was promoting the the line. I mean, you know, we've always been the Americans puppets. And I think that he was just doing exactly the same thing. So um, <clears throat> I, you know, no, but I mean, you're right, um, we're moving away from um, a, a negotiated settlement. And I just, you know, I mean, we this, this could deteriorate into something far nastier. Um, I just hope that some sort of um, reason prevails at the end of the day, even though they might not move towards a settlement. But I mean, meanwhile, um, Europe is hurting, I think, um, from the energy point of view, they've managed to get a remarkable amount of gas in storage of, you know, by all accounts. Um, They haven't really been that dependent on Russian oil. but. once we get through the winter, we've then got the spring and uh, there is no doubt that with Nord Stream 1 now shut down as well, um, they will be drawing down on gas reserves in particular, uh, which basically means that they've got to restock. Um, and I don't think it's going to be quite so easy to restock in, in, in the spring. And the other problem, which I think quite a lot of commentators who, who are sort of taking um, uh, a, a, a very positive line on, on uh, energy costs saying, well, you know, this is a sort of temporary thing and all the rest of it. They're ignoring the problems with electricity. I mean, in this country, we've, we've really screwed up our electricity strategy. And um, I understand that uh, we're actually looking to France to supply electricity to us this winter to make up for the shortfalls. But France um, has half, roughly half, its uh, nuclear capability offline at the moment. I mean, a lot of it for genuine maintenance, but some of it with because there are cracks in, the, you know, in, in, in the reactors in the, in the concrete. Um, others are suspected of having cracks in the concrete, um, and France is expecting to um, import uh, electricity from us. What? <laughs> You know, this. I think that's where the, the energy crisis in Europe is going to be. It is going to be in electricity. Um, and if we have this one, wonderful weather much more, um, then the windmills won't be turning much. Um, the, the ones at sea won't be turning much. Um, and uh, it will be sort of dark for much of the day. So, you know, if, this is not a good time, I think, for um, our, ele- our electricity production strategy. Um, I mean, at least I think this new government has got a a far better grasp of uh, the situation and will move very quickly. I mean, encouraging fracking and so on and so forth. But as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. So um, I think we're still going to have a lot of difficulty this winter. And on top of that, of course, there is the um, food position. I mean, already I was absolutely staggered. I mean, for a long time, I've been paying something like £2 a block for Lurpak, but butter and i saw the other day it's priced at 265 i where did that come from it just jumped <laughs> you know. and the, but this is it's not just butter that's doing this it's all sorts of food products and uh, agriculture is intensely it's energy intensive um, and a lot of those costs, uh, those higher energy costs are not going to be paid for by government subsidy. Um, it's going to be extremely difficult, plus the lack of fertilizer and all the rest of it because of the Ukraine situation. I mean, we've got a lot of problems to work through. And the point about inflation is not is that the, these are not the causes of inflation. What causes inflation is um, printing the currency to uh, pay for the higher prices that's what does it and of course this is going to be the next wave of uh, uh, of currency inflation um as uh europe as uh, britain and um i don't know i suppose to a lesser extent america deal with this energy crisis and then we've got a further problem um andrew and that is that banks quite understandably see this risky situation and um, their balance sheets are very, very highly leveraged. I mean, I reckon that the GSIBs in both Japan and also uh, in Europe are over 20 times um, leveraged on average. And some of that, you know, we're looking at sort of going up to 27, 30 times. Now, this is unheard of. It's the consequence of negative interest rates you know, because the margins just go down, 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 down. How do you maintain your profits? Well, you just get your balance sheet. But that's fine until it gets to a point where suddenly the music stops. The music has stopped now and bankers are reversing their earlier uh, credit expansion policies. I mean, I was fascinated to see a headline in the Wall Street Journal the other day, uh, which said banks have lost 370 billion in deposits. Well, yeah, I mean, the figure might be right, But um, what actually happened is the banks didn't lose it. No, what they did was they contracted their balance sheets. You know, they reduced their loans and they reduced the deposit. In total, down 370 billion. This is evidence of what is going on. Now This matters because what is GDP? GDP is a sum total of transactions, qualifying transactions, financed by, guess what, bank credit. Nothing else. I mean, (laughs) there are a few cash transactions, but less and less so. So if you contract bank credit, then you're gonna contract GDP, nominal GDP. That's what we're now seeing. And because there is so much more bank credit contraction to come, the slump, and that's what it is, we must not mince words over this, the slump is going to be extremely serious. How do the central banks respond to this? Well, the answer basically is that government deficits will shoot up they will finance it in the bond markets, they will have to reverse quantitative tightening into quantitative easing, and then we will see the currencies begin to collapse. Ergo, you've got to earn gold, because
2: that is your escape route from what is actually happening. It's as simple as that. That arrives beautifully at, at gold, and, and and you're absolutely right. That's the anchor for this. and um, And I think you know, if we you've you've mentioned the SEO a um, couple of times, um, I mean, what we're talking about? What three billion Euro Asians here? I mean, isn't that like uh, half of the world's population here? I mean, the, really, it, it, the, this side of the world is blinkered, is absolutely blinkered to to what's really going on, and and as you say, you, you are seeing the results of it. You're seeing in uh, you, some of the stuff you're talking about here. Uh, with uh, the banks, etc, waking up to this i mean also it it it, it staggers me because um really it, w- these are self inflicted wounds on ourselves because what we 've done is issue these sanctions um against Russia, which are actually bolstering as you 've just alluded to uh bolstering the ruble to the, probably the strongest currency on the on the planet. Um, Their their GDP uh, is is, uh, relative to to, to the West here, is actually looking extremely strong. and, And the contraction is, and you probably know the number, I don't know the number, but it's a hell of a lot less than us. And I think you kind of, suddenly I think this cannot be, these are intelligent people. It must be, there must be some aspect to this where the US also has the additional benefit of bankrupting europe
0: well i don 't think they get any benefit out of out, out of doing that um, it's it's an interesting question because um, so many people th- uh, come up with conspiracy theories you know about how you know, the world economic forum and um, uh, you know i i mean and some of them are absolutely crazy. Um, I think a lot of this is the action of um, governments, civil servants, bureaucracies, politicians, who quite frankly are lost and getting increasingly frightened. I mean, in America, there has long been um, a a, a tradition that's not quite the right word, whereby um, you know, you say something really scurrilous and you find the FBI comes knocking on your door. That's the way it works in America. And of course, this is a surveillance state, um, which is some, you know, it's George Orwell all over again. And uh, in this country, in the UK, we would be very sensitive to that. But um, when you get this paranoia in the um, intelligence services and the domestic intelligence services, you can see that this can rapidly develop into complete loss of freedom. And we have got very serious people like uh, Carstens, and Car- Carstens at uh, the Bank of International Settlements, you know, trumpeting the merits of uh, CBDCs, um, saying that you know we will be able to control how they are spent, and we will we we know who spends it, where they spend it, um, when they spend it. We get all that information through CBDCs. It will allow us to manage the economy. Hold on a minute, they're just trying to take us over. That's actually what it. <laughs> What it is, so you can see how um, you have got um, uh, people in authority who are finding that they're pulling the levers of power and nothing's working. You know, you pull the lever, nothing works. I mean, in this country, we've got a national health service. You chuck another hundred million into it, and or billion even, and what you know, you pull the levers. How much of it gets down to the patients? You know, just a drip or two. That's all. The rest of it just gets lost in the system. So nothing is working anymore. And this is very, very concerning. And this is why I think that um, we're getting all these conspiracy theories because the actions of people who find that the system no longer works are essentially um, sort of not far short of panic. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, So when it comes to, um, you know, whether the Americans want to lean on Europe and um, stop them for growing and from growing and all the rest of it. I don't think that's the case. I mean, their actions might suggest that is the case. But I think they're just lost. I think they're completely lost. And um, the only person who seems to me is not lost in all this is Putin. He knows what he's doing. We don't. We've just lost the plot completely. And the consequences of um, of losing the plot are basically, I think that markets will take over the pricing of everything in the not too distant future. Now, whether that's triggered by Eurozone banks collapsing, which I think is very much on the cards at some stage, uh, the Eurozone collapsing, I think that's almost a dead cert, you know, with um, the German uh, engine at the center of it, f- failing uh, under these circumstances. Um, and, you know, look at Sterling. I mean, Sterling's going down the pan. I mean, I was looking at um, currencies. They're all falling into new low ground. Chinese Yuan, mm-hmm. Japanese Yen, Sterling, and also the Euro. And, um, you know, the, the, the strength in the dollar is just illusory. It's, it's, it's not strength in the dollar at all. All it is is falling, other currencies falling faster than the dollar.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: sooner or later, people will realize this. And I'm sorry, I'm ranting a bit, but uh, you know, yeah. moving on from there and sort of, you know, focusing a little more on, on gold, it just amazes me that hedge funds, and if you look at their track record dealing in the gold market or the gold paper futures, whatever market, they buy at the top and they sell at the bottom. And do you remember we used to call these people the masters of the universe? I mean, they're idiots. They are quite honestly, they're complete idiots. But... You know, the way these no, because,
2: markets. Sorry, uh, Andy. The way these markets. No, no, I so say you, you're right, but because they're trading paper gold. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean,
0: the only way in which they succeed is they are so big that they move the markets in their direction. They have no clue what they're doing. They really haven't. And sooner or later, they come unstuck. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've found the same thing, you know, talking to various people around the world in the you know, in the sort of the, 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 the retail trade, as it were, selling bars, coins, and so on and so forth, they've never been busier. And I, that gives me great hope because the ordinary person has got a greater grasp of what's going on than these bloody hedge fund managers. I mean, they really have. So we've got a situation where people, I think, are beginning to um, cover themselves in this very risky situation, whereas the establishment still doesn't get it. It's an extraordinary situation. Normally, it's the other way around. You know, you follow the establishment <laughs> in order to make money, but that, it's going to be their undoing. Markets will come back and take over pricing. And, you know, look look at the, the gap between um, the loss of purchasing power of currencies and interest rates. I mean, by the time you take into account um, that increased risk and all the rest of it, interest rates are at least um, less than a third of where they should be. I mean, they should increase by multiples, not by 0.75% as we're, you know, or 0.1%, which we're, we're hanging our hats on this afternoon. I mean, that's complete nonsense. This is a major, major mispricing the whole way across the global financial system and it's going to crack. And when it cracks, it will crack big.
2: And, and from from the physical market perspective, and we've been talking a lot about gold as money. And of course, we're talking physical gold as money, um, as is Russia, China, um, and and really um, what we're to, in the West, we tend to think of or the price of gold is often set in the paper markets. It has very little relevance to what's really going on. In fact, as you know, we look at a fix at the, at the uh, London gold fix, we see three to five tons being squared. I mean, come on. I mean, we know there's far more being traded off out outside of Loco London than this siloed little club that um, decides what they're going to fix the price at for relative derivative reasons. Um, but outside that, there's a whole physical market. And I think what we're talking about here with some, all of the stuff we're talking about, we're talking about also, we're talking about SEO, you're talking about various Um, uh, uh, markets that are physical markets. And it's, to me, I I see it. I see it every day. Our liquidity providers talk about it every day. The physical, the the paper market liquidity is evaporating bit by bit. We see it a bit in the COMEX. We only see half of the, not even a quarter of the picture. The, The physical markets are being settled elsewhere at its own price. And it's increasingly going to do so. And I think this is why it's such an opportunity for people to buy physical gold, physical silver at these ludicrous prices. Um, As you say, the hedge funds have, we call them speculators, but I mean, you know, they are partly, mostly that's the problem. They are speculators. They're in, they're out. Uh, They've been led by the nose, by the insiders, the house, to do certain things. When the dollar rises, oh, tick for tick sell. Uh, You know, so, and I think... The other thing is (laughs) dealing with somebody quite recently who said, yes, Andrew, yes, yes, yes. I am thinking about investing my money into gold, but it's so bloody volatile. I said, hang on, hang on, (laughs) pull up a chart. And now we look at a chart and we say, OK, let's go back. You look at the dollar index. And at that time, it had just made 110. So, OK, so that's 20 year highs. Now look where the price of uh, gold was. In dollars, 315 bucks. In pounds, 250 in round numbers. So where's the volatility? And it's suddenly you look and realize. And so I guess my question is, just because the dollar's rising, as you say, because of the reason is you've given the correct reason. It's just it's just the best of a bad lot. Um, it's quite possible for gold to rise alongside the dollar is it not well it's very interesting you say that
0: because i mean it's obviously true yes um but this morning i think for the first time in a long time we saw that um currencies opened you know you know against the dollar i mean they've fell quite heavily and the trade weighted was up at a record again and what happened gold was up 13 14 dollars not very important in the whole scheme of things but you can see that Perhaps a few people are beginning to latch on to the idea that, hold on a minute, these currencies being destabilised isn't good for any of them, let alone the dollar. And perhaps we ought to be looking at something else. As to your point about where volatility is, um, my colleague James Turk um, produced a wonderful chart of the price of oil. From 1950, in various currencies and also in, in gold uh, between 1950 and today. <clears throat> and, you know, the gold price is just a sort of line like that. And I can tell you that from 1950, when uh, oil was priced at, I think it was something like $2.69 or something a barrel, um, today the price in gold has fallen by roughly 25%. <laughs> but you look at the volatility. The volatility in sterling is way, way off. I mean, it's just incredible. And also the dollar to lesser extent euro, but the euro only really started in the year 2000. So, but you can see that the volatility is in the currencies, but hold on a minute. The idea of a currency or a medium of exchange is that when you do a transaction, you and I will agree what a pound is, but we might argue about what we're buying. I mean, if I'm buying, I don't know, something like... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, an antique table off you or something like that, you know, we're going to haggle around the price of the antique table. We're not going to haggle over the value of the currency. But actually, when you look at the commodities, we should be haggling over the currency, not the commodities. <laughs> I mean, it is good point. It's an upside down world we live in. And um, it's being created by, um, if you like, trying to escape from the discipline of sound money. And it, this is this is crazy. It is completely crazy. But this is why the thing that's interesting is that when I was looking at the um, you know the the this new trade settlement currency, and the statements that Sergey Glaziev uh, uh, has given, you know he was talking about it being com- um, comprised of um, you know a mixture of local currencies and uh, the commodities that the nations trade with, them, with each other. But I mean that's got that's got to be rubbish it's got to be rubbish, because at the same time, he said that this should be open to other nations to participate in. Well, that means that every time, every time someone else joins, you have to rebalance the damn thing. And you'd never get anyone to agree to the composition in a a committee anyway. So that is absolute rubbish. And you can see that if you um, say, okay, well, let's just take out the currencies. Let's just look at um, groups of, um, of of commodities and raw materials. And we take, say, base metals, we take precious metals, we take um, agricultural products of a non-cyclical type, you know, don't depend on harvest, you know, the cycle of harvest and, and stuff. Um, and we take various other, um, you know, sort of, if you like, uh, raw materials, uh, that the, the, you know, like lumber and so on and so forth. Uh, and you put them all together in an index, you can see it's sort of replicating what gold does. So why not just base the new currency on the gold price? I mean, they could do it, I think, without actually having to put any gold into it, by just merely fixing it on a daily basis against the price of gold. You know, participating currencies against the price of gold. There's your trade currency. I mean, it's actually very, very simple. Um but I think that, you know, the, the thing which um, I think is, is, is interesting about this is that once um, you find that nations are settling their overseas trade in uh, sound money, in, in real money, if you like, or something which is tied to real money, then I think it's less of a, um, of, of a difficult step for them to accept the attachment of their own domestic currencies to the gold price. And it's that that really does give me great, great hope that this will work. Um, But I think as we've sort of discussed, I mean, there are so many aspects where you know the West is going to try and stop this working. Um, (laughs) We don't want to see it. I mean, the Americans don't want to see gold come back replacing the dollar. They're fighting it tooth and nail. And we can expect, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised as the situation uh, deteriorates if you find more attempts to confiscate gold. Um, you know, I mean, I it, look—it's crazy. It's absolute nonsense. But when politicians are desperate, they are nonsensical. <laughs> I'm afraid mm. it's as simple as that. But given that, I'd like to just put a mention in uh, where I see silver, because the one thing they won't confiscate is silver, and that, as as a commodity, is wildly underpriced. I mean, you can't uh, expect to see lithium go up ten times and silver fall twenty percent. I mean, it's just complete nonsense. Um, so, from the industrial point of view, it makes an awful lot of sense, I think, to accumulate silver. But also, um, if we, as you know, sort of peons, are, are um, uh, denied um, uh, legal money um, in the form of gold, then uh, we fall back on silver, and. Um, Interestingly, I mean, we, we know that at the time of Sir Isaac Newton, the relationship was fixed at around about, I think it was 15 and a half ounces of silver to one of gold. Um, but if you go back uh, to Roman times, um, go back to Diocletian in his edict of prices, he fixed the rate at six times, six ounces of silver to one of gold which is interesting. And where are we at the moment? We're 80, 80 something. I haven't looked at it in the last few days, but um, you know that actually is, if you're looking at um, the gold price as a performance, if you like, in other words, as an investment, um, then that has probably got more potential for you. But I would not look at it like that. I think um, we just want to get out of risk and risk is fiat currencies, fiat related assets, everything priced in fiat and assets which you cannot Price in the absence of fiat, without fiat actually being converted into proper money substitutes. So um, I think um, I think some silver in there would make an awful lot of sense as an insurance against the stupidity of, um, of of the system when it tries to hold on to its power by taking yet more power from us and denying us the use of money.
2: Yeah, and we have that ludicrous situation. I just did an episode about this. Uh, and in fact, it was, uh, I did an episode of it two weeks ago where we actually saw, and I've never seen this before, Alistair, ever, ever, ever before, where we see a 20 cent backwardation, I, i.e. $1,000 difference per contract between the COMEX silver price as set on the COMEX versus what's being set in the spot market in the -the over-the-counter markets. And this arbitrage situation lasted for a full week before they finally squared it up today. In fact, we did an episode asking for sharks to come in the water and and to come and feed on this risk-free arbitrage. You simply had to buy the the, the, uh, the COMEX silver contract and go and sell it immediately in the spot market for cash. And make a thousand dollars, and then it went down to seven hundred six hundred five hundred four hundred We got to zero however there 's still a contango that should be in place because of the carry costs. It should be somewhere at least ten to eighteen, maybe even twenty six cents is where the historical norm would be so what you 've just illustrated is silver is so underpriced and and to see a situation like that where we get that much of a break in, in between the physical and the paper price. Silver's a beautiful thing because, it underst- because what it does is give us visibility into, into the much more opaque uh, gold market, which is much more difficult to see the footprints, but you can't ignore that. And I think, you, you know, I kind of wanted to say to you, you know, in fact, you, I was going to ask you, so what do you think about silver? Well, you've just answered that. <laughs> you've answered what <laughs> thing about silver, but I was going to also ask you, Uh, if you have any comments on that, but what percentage as a physical owner, and if someone said to you, Oh, Alistair, you know, I'm I'm having a cup of tea with you. What what would you think? What what should I, I'm going out to, I've got, you know, I've got a, I've got a hundred grand or or I've got a thousand pounds or whatever. Um, What percentage of gold or silver should I, physical gold and silver should I buy? What would you say?
0: I mean, I, I I would, I think one thing I would say is that the whole point of uh, physical gold and silver is that you are getting out of the fiat currency system. You are not, and eventually when the fiat currency system collapses, which I think is getting closer and closer and more and more more people are beginning to understand that this is a real possibility, uh, you will spend it. Um, I would have thought therefore on the basis that um, silver has a lot of catching up to do compared with gold, but silver will never be fixed. um, Because the only escape route from this is that eventually these fiat currencies will have to be fixed against gold. I don't know what it would be in dollars. I mean, sterling, I can easily imagine a million pounds an ounce. I mean, you know, that's not an, that's not a uh, you know, meant to be um, a statement of a profitable opportunity of buying gold, it's actually a statement of the collapse of, um, of, of sterling as a currency. I don't know where it would happen, but they need to do that in order to distribute, if you like, um, a um, money substitute, a gold substitute uh, across um, the nation. Uh, I mean, we had this uh, in, after the war with, with, with um, Hong Kong, Um, when uh, we reclaimed Hong Kong, we walked in there and there was the military yen, which was completely collapsed in value. What they did was that they um, introduced the new Hong Kong dollar, which was on a currency board basis and um, they swapped it and the ratio of 5,000 to one, not because there was any value in the Japanese military yen, but because they needed to get it distributed throughout the economy. That I think is what eventually will happen. How long we 'll get, get take to get there i don 't know, but it will be gold, I think, which will be the metal which will be fixed against the you know turning paper currency into into a money substitute so taking that into account, I would think that um, i wouldn 't have a majority of um, my um, physical gold and silver in silver, but I would probably have something like 30 to 40%, I think that would make sense because that would maximize your resources. I think in the interim period, when you will find there is a catch up. I mean, we all know that when the price of gold goes up and it takes silver with it, silver tends to move up twice as fast as gold or slightly less than twice as fast as gold. So that in fiat money terms um, would be a very good starting point, probably to switch later on back into gold when, say, the ratios drop to something like thirty to one, or something like that, or you know, some, you know, something which which will enhance your your um, uh, you know the gold in your possession, the physical gold in your position, compared with your starting point,
2: a hell of a lot easier to barter a one ounce of silver when the prices go uh, get much higher than than an ounce of gold, which would maybe of extreme. Um, and when you say value, of course, you've just explained it, 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 it is, relative to fiat currencies. It's it's a pointless comparison, but it is what this is. This is um, paid for no counterparty risk. All the energy that created it is in it. And therefore, it will be it'll have enormous buying power. And silver would have would be much more exchangeable, in my view, than the, than the equivalent amount of gold, so I think it's advice. It's the same advice I would give to people. Look, you know, get as much of your money into gold and silver, physical gold and silver. But obviously, you need to pay your bills. You need to have something, uh, and so I would view silver in the same way. Um, that that'll be your spending money at some point.
0: I think you. I think you make a very good point there. And the other thing, which I think is terribly important, is that. Um, your family and your close friends around you um, will not have taken this course of action and uh, they will need help. And silver will be, I think, more useful in that context than than gold necessarily. I would see gold as being, um, uh, if you like, very useful um, for, uh, if you like, doing capital transactions, I mean, uh, going back to um, uh, an earlier situation in Germany in 1923, um, you know, I've said this so many times, so <laughs> I'm repeating myself in a way, but you could have bought um, a really posh house in Berlin um, in in late 1923 for uh, five ounces of gold. It was a hundred dollars, which is just slightly less than five ounces of gold at 20.67 to the ounce, which was the conversion rate then. Um and that's what happens in, in, in this. I mean, I, you know, before uh, the first world war, that house might've been say, well, you know, something like half a million marks or even less probably because it would have been gold marks then. Um, but in 1923, it might've been several billion marks, but it was only a hundred dollars, <laughs> a hundred gold backed uh, dollars. So um, that's what happens to asset prices. And, I would think that the canny thing to do is to um, expect that opportunity to come up again where you can actually buy physical assets with gold and silver. You probably, depending on the jurisdiction, you probably have to have it in something which is legal tender. So in the UK, you would do it with sovereigns, for example or you might do it with um you know there's 1 ounce um gold coins which which um you know uh, are actually legal tender they're marked as a 100 pounds so <laughs> but um so i think I, I that's the way i'd look at it i mean it, it, you know really uh, gold is going to be very very useful for those capital transactions in particular um you know where if you want to buy a farm or something you know it probably won't take an awful lot of gold coins to do it um but Silver, you're absolutely right, As a small change and probably not such small change. Silver is extremely useful.
2: do you know, I, I can't believe it. I mean, we've gone way past, I've gone past an hour here. I can't, really, it seemed like two minutes. Um, look, <laughs> I just want to thank you so, so much. And we've taken you out of your lovely air and put you in an office to come and talk to us. Thank you so much for sharing your sage advice and 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 educational information here this is information so people can listen and make up their own mind Uh, and I think we're all enriched by what you've told us today but thank you so much I wish we had more time even but thank you so much for spending that valuable time with us today thank you well you've been you've been very
0: kind to me in that but I thoroughly enjoyed it so um, we'll do it again soon let's let's uh, let's do that and lunch is still on me you know that if I can get round to you, I'll have to come into one of your polo matches, I think. <laughs> yes, do that. Do yeah. Come and
2: come and join us. No, I have <laughs> a
0: bumper okay. of champagne. <laughs> <off it. laughs>
2: well, that in invite, mind, you're invited to the one in May. OK, <laughs> lovely. OK, then. <laughs> lovely talking to you again. Matt.
1: Thank you so much, Alistair. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew McGuire and Alistair McLeod, for another fascinating discussion here on Live from the Vault. And remember, buy physical, buy physical, buy physical, and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino, paper, gold, and silver markets, and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and the community as we keep growing. Uh, That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. But please keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button. It really helps the channel by sharing with everybody you know and by subscribing. Now, if you click on that bell, you'd be notified in real time as each episode goes live. You don't want to miss it. And with that, we'll see you next time right here on Live from the Vault. See you then.